So tonight we are going to talk about God's omnipresence. Last week we talked about God's immutability and how God does not change and said that that is something that should give us confidence in who he is. Uh, we know that we serve a God who is going to honor his promises. So that should help us to know that we are standing on a foundation that will never shift. Um, so we can we can go and serve God confidently, knowing that he never changes. And tonight we are talking about God's omnipresence. And his omnipresence, that means that God is everywhere. He inhabits every place that has ever been created. It's inhabited by God. There is not any place where God is not at. Um, starting off tonight, there's a just a quick quote from Augustine. And it says this. It says, God is an infinite circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. God is an infinite circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. So there is no way to measure how far God expands because he is everywhere. There is no place within this earth or in the universe or outside of it where God does not inhabit that place. In truth, the fact that any place or being exists is because of God. Should God not fully occupy any place, then that place does not exist or it must immediately cease to be because God is everywhere. There is not one place that he is not. Um, God's omnipresence makes up his essence. It's his nature. Uh, God has created all things. Therefore, he must be ever present in all that he has created. If you go to the remotest part of the earth, God is there. Uh, the fact that there is even a remotest part of the earth is a testimony to God's presence. Just because we cannot see it does not mean that it does not exist, nor does it mean that God is not there because he is everywhere. A simple cate uh, catechism question that we ask to the kids, it's simply this. Where is God? The answer is God is everywhere, right? He's everywhere. So it is a simple concept with complex implications that our finite minds sometimes cannot grasp. Really, this attribute of God speaks to his simplicity. God is one. He is eternally existent in three persons. God, the father. God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. Right. The 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith in section two says this. It says the Lord, our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent, 
and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but him. He is a perfectly pure spirit. He is invisible and has no body, parts, or changeable emotions. He alone has immortality, dwelling in light that no one can approach. He is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, holy, free, completely absolute. That's what the Baptist Confession of Faith says. And in here it says immense. So what does that mean? That's one word that I want to pick out of here. It says immense. And even in the uh, the uh, Confession of Faith, it has a footnote that says immense means transcends all space. That's what immense means. First uh, Kings chapter eight, verse 27. It says this, it says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. So King Solomon here is saying in, in all of his wisdom, he knew that this earth could not contain God and even the heavens above could not box God in. And with all of the riches that Solomon possessed, he was aware of the fact that he could not build a temple large enough to house God in. God is an infinite being. He has no end. He is everywhere. Solomon's father, David, also knew that there was no place within all of creation where God did not exist. Uh, turn, turn to Psalm 137 or 139 verses 7 through 10. Starting in verse seven, it says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. So David knows that there is no place that he can go that God does not inhabit that location. So both questions posed in uh, Psalm 30, 139 verse 7 imply a negative answer. So where can I go from your spirit? The negative answer to that, there is nowhere where God does not exist or where he is not present. Right. Or where can I flee from your presence? Right. There's no place that he does not exist where he is or where he is not present. He is all present at all times and with all of 
his being. Again, the simplicity of God. He's not broken up into parts. You know, all of his being is everywhere that he inhabits. He's not segmented into different parts. Wherever he is, all of him is. So verses eight through ten. Um, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So heaven, heaven can be viewed as north. Let's just go like straight up. Heaven can be viewed as north. All that is above Sheol can be viewed as south to go straight down all that is below the wings of dawn. This can be looked at as where the sun rises uh, in the east. And then the remotest part of the sea uh, is a reference to the Mediterranean Sea, which is to the west of the Holy Land. So no matter where David says, no matter where he goes, north, south, east, west, God is there. So no matter where we go, whether it be north, straight up to the highest height or as far south, straight down below to the deepest depths, God is there. Whether you travel to the east or to the west, God is already there. So God dwells in heaven. Sheol, the grave. God is on the other side of the grave. David knew that there was no place in which to escape the omnipresence of God. Ephesians 4, 6, it says, One God, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's everywhere. He is everywhere. So whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, God is all present. God is at all times present, but the manifestation of his presence is not the same in all places that he inhabits. So we'll talk about that a little more um, before we end. But any any questions before we move forward? Okay. All right. <clears throat> God's throne is in heaven. He occupies the highest place of supreme authority. He is enthroned on high. Psalm chapter two, verse four, it says he who sits in the heavens that tells us that his throne is in heaven. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Uh, Psalm 11, verse four. It says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids test. The sons of men. Psalm 97 verse 9. It says for you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Little G. 
So his authority, he is above all authority. His throne is in heaven. He is above all earthly uh, authority. Psalm 103, 19, it says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. So heaven is God's throne. God says that himself in uh, Isaiah 66, one, he says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? He's everywhere, right? We cannot contain him anywhere. And on God being in heaven, Jesus, and he instructs us to approach God in this way. He says in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven. Right. Hallowed be your name. So God's throne is in heaven. But he also he he goes beyond what we can see. Now, we can't see him in heaven, but God is beyond anything that, you know, beyond all that we can see, should I say. So we can look, we can see only so far, we can only absorb so much, but God is beyond uh, the furthest place that any human eye can see or or any human being can get to. God is beyond even that. He goes beyond what our eyes can see. So when we consider the universe, the galaxies, the heavens that are immediately above us, they are stretched beyond what we can see. So we can go out and look at the sky and see that the heavens are stretched out and we can see only so far, depending on the visibility of that day. You know, we can only see so far, but the heavens are continually stretched out uh, further than we can see. God inhabits even what we can't see. So they are they're stretched beyond what we can see. He inhabits those places even beyond our view. What is within our view, however, it is God himself who stretches out. Uh, who stretches that out and graciously allows us to see even the heavens above that we are able to view. So we should thank God for those things that we can see, those things that we can absorb. God is there. Uh, Job 9, 8, talking of God, it says uh, it is he who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 2. It is God covering himself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. So it's, you know, when we sit And we think and we actually take time to absorb the things that we see and take into consideration that God is ever present in all of his 
creation, it's it's a sight to behold. I mean, we really have no reason to complain, right? Well, we know God because he is even on a day like today. That was a cloudy day, you know, kind of a uh, gloomy day. Listen, God is there. He's there. So we should rejoice in the things that we are able to uh, to see that he allows us to see. That's why, you know, it's it's good that we're even going through these attributes of God because it gives us that that deeper knowledge of him. You know, it's so that we can have a higher view of who God is. You know, we don't want to just take a superficial approach to knowledge of God. We want to go deeper in his word. We want to know more about him so we can worship him uh, with our whole heart. Right. Any uh, any comments or questions? So God is far off yet ever present all at once when he spoke to the the false prophets in in jeremiah and we'll read that in a moment here in speaking to the false prophets who abounded in those days of jeremiah they spoke as if god knew nothing about the sins of judah so they promised peace and safety despite sinful rebellion and here's what god said to them uh, jeremiah chapter 23 verses 21 through 24 he says i did not send these prophets but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. <clears throat> but if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Verse 23. Am I God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. So they should not have thought of God as being so far off that he could not see the deeds of sin that were being committed. Yet they treated God like that. The, the false prophets did. And they were crying peace, peace, where there is no peace in the, in the midst of sin and rebellion against God. But see, God knew about those sins that were being committed. They were committed in his sight for he fills both the heavens and the earth. He is a God who is far off yet. A God who is near and ever present. So though he does seem far away at times, he is also 
near. Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, David said in Psalm 23, verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So even through the darkest depths of despair, God is present. You know, in those times when it does not seem like he is near to us, he's here. He's present. He is never going to go anywhere. There's no place that that we can go where God is not. So um, even when it seems like, you know, we're going through a, a tough time, a challenging time, and we're wondering, God, where are you? Where are you? That's when we have to believe in his word and what his word says. You know, he is always here, even though it does not seem like it. He is there and we should call on him knowing that he is here. You know, we're, we're never, uh, never alone. And that should give us comfort. Jesus promised the disciples, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. He said this as he sent them out. And as he has promised to be with them, so he is with all of us who know him. And that's why, you know, one reason why we should, the, the, the main reason why we should never fear when God calls us to do something. You know, when he gives us that opportunity to obey him, when he gives us that opportunity to share his gospel, his good news. We have everything that we need to know in order to tell someone the good news of Jesus Christ and how he came to save sinners from the wrath of God that is to come. We should never, there should never be a moment that we clam up in fear because we feel that we don't know what to say or we feel that we're going to stumble over our words because at that point, you know, we are looking at ourselves more than we are depending on God. You know, he, he is always with us and we have to obey him, obey the things that he tells us to do. And we should not live in fear. We should let our light shine. You know, we are we are the light. You know, we have to live as light in this dark world as the world is trending one way toward darkness and living in fear. We are to have joy and always to look to Jesus Christ, the light of the world, knowing that that light will never go out. And whatever happens to us, we don't have to fear as the, the way that this world fears. We don't operate without hope. We have all hope in 
Christ. We are safe. We are protected. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. You know, there is nothing that anyone can do to harm us. That doesn't mean that we're not going to run into opposition or face persecution. But the ultimate end, our ultimate end is eternal life. Safety in Christ. Who cares how we die? You know, who cares how we do? Uh, You know, we don't want to die a slow, painful death, but one day it's going to be over than eternity, you know, and it's all over. Sin no more, death no more, eternal life. So we're safe in Christ. So he, he promised that he would always be with us, never leave us, never forsake us. Um, God is so present that he dwells within believers through the person of the Holy Spirit. He is so present that he dwells within believers through the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Let's turn there and read. Starting in verse nine, it says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness but if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you so god is dwelling within us as believers through the person of the holy spirit You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit alive because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that something to think about? That the spirit of God dwells everywhere, yet within us as well. You know, as believers, God's spirit dwells within us. And we should thank God for his spirit. You know, um, it, it kind of you, you think about it and it sometimes it blows your mind. You know, you, God dwells within me, you know, but that that should do something to us as well. Not that we walk around with our noses in the air, but we should 
commit even more to service of of uh, obedience to Christ, more to exalting the name of Jesus Christ, because it is because of what he did, his death on the cross for us, that the spirit of God lives and resides in us because of the work of Christ on the cross. So we should always, always look back to the cross, point everyone to the cross of Jesus Christ, glorify the name of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Um, First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19, it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? You know, these are, these are things that we have to think about sometimes instead of just reading over it. You know, we have to think about it. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. We're, we're not our own. We were bought with a price, that precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, and now the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. We are a temple. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is uh who is in us. So, you know, that that should have an effect on the way that we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves, how we treat our bodies. You know, we don't want to sin and grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, we want to live lives that are holy according to the word of God. How do we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We try to do it on our own we're going to fail. You know, we have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. We pray, we ask God to keep us from the sin that so easily besets us, you know, and, and we should even treat our bodies the way in, in, in a, you know, in a respectful manner, you know, to be able to freely serve God. We don't want to be bound by living in ungodly ways. You know, we want to use our bodies to the glory of God, right? So, uh, any any questions before we go on? Yeah, I just um <clears throat> I think that that's one of the things that's so important like when considering God being present everywhere um that we're living our entire lives before the face of God. And it really does, like you said, it, leads, it should lead to greater humility and a greater commitment to service when we see in everything that we do, even the smallest things, that God is witness to that and that God cares about those things. And so like I said, rather than it being like something that should puff us up, it should really make us mindful in all circumstances. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that should be the byproduct of this. Yep. Yep. And so God, he uh, he also promises believers, as we've said, 
already in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. He is never going to leave his child, a child of his behind. He will never leave us or forsake us. So that should give us uh, confidence in Christ. Any other any other comments? Okay, man. Thanks for that input, Luke. That's that's good stuff, man. So God is omnipresent, and there is no place where He does not exist, including the depths of hell. So God is in hell, <clears throat> carrying out His vengeance and unrelentless wrath on unrepentant sinners in this place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth as Matthew 8:12 says it is god not satan dishing out divine retribution god is fully present in this outer darkness so the cup of wrath that jesus drank for believers you know it was in he prayed in the garden before he went to the cross he said father if there is any other way you know lord lord please take this cup from me immediately after that he says not my will but yours be done that uh, that that cup that he drank was the cup of God's wrath. You know, uh, a lot of people, when they talk about uh, Christ and the the crucifixion and even how he was treated going to the cross, um, being punched, being the, the crown thorns being spit on, you know, uh, all of those things, all of that really, that pales in comparison to the wrath that he was going to take on on the cross. Listen, is almighty God, we have to remember that Christ, although he was here in flesh, he was still fully God and almighty God he's not going to be afraid of man and the things that man can do to him Christ told us itself not to fear man but to fear God right so all of those things that 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 persecution that he suffered at the hands of men you know, being assaulted by men, that was not the worst of it. That was not the worst of it. It was the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on him fully. He drank the cup of God's wrath fully for everyone who would believe in Christ. For the chosen, for the elect, for those whom he loved, he drank that full cup.
cup of God's wrath for us, for you, for me, you know, and now that cup of wrath that Jesus drank for believers is forced upon those who will not repent of sin and they die in unrepentant sin. Now, this cup of wrath is forced on them who did not believe in Jesus Christ in hell for eternity. There is no escape for them because they did not repent of sin. They did not believe in Jesus Christ. They trampled him underfoot. They did not listen to the warnings to be saved from the wrath to come. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter one. Let's turn there. Uh, let's start in verse start in verse one. It says Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And then verse nine, it says, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So we see a few things there, you know, um, with the saints who are being persecuted. You know, what is said to those saints that are being persecuted? It says, listen, and, and the fact that they are thankful for them, it says this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. So we should know that any persecution that we would face, we're suffering 
for the kingdom of God. Now, these are the things that we do for God that we are suffering for, not things that we foolishly bring on ourselves, but in obedience to the call of God. When we suffer, it's suffering for the kingdom of God. But what is God going to do to those who persecute his children, the saints of God? He is going to repay with affliction those who afflict the saints of God and give relief to the saints who are afflicted when Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So away from the presence of the Lord. We said at the beginning, God is everywhere. Is this now contradicting God's omnipresence? It's not. It's not at all. And what this is, is uh, what I said earlier that we would uh, that we would mention later is a different manifestation of God's presence. So here. Presence, uh, it's it's a Greek word uh, prosopon, which literally means countenance or face. So. What does this mean? This is a quote directly from uh, from Steve Lawson, and it says this. It says this means that the Lord will turn away his face from unbelievers. The favor of his countenance will be withdrawn. They will not experience the smile of his face in hell. Relationally separated from him, they will nevertheless face the fierce frown of his anger. In their presence, God will unleash on them the endless execution of his vengeance. They will forever be the object of his unmitigated wrath, never to escape the divine fury of eternal destruction as an outpouring of his justice. So it does not mean that God, God's presence is not there, because remember, it's God who is dealing out retribution to unbelievers in hell. Those who trampled on Christ, who trampled him underfoot, they are going to pay eternally suffering the wrath of God. So, you know, God hates sin. He's holy. He hates sin. It does not matter who it is that commits that sin. Even in his children, he hates sin. And we should hate sin because God is holy and he hates sin. So we should do everything that we can to live holy lives, right? But he hates it so much that 
here we see he turns his face away from it. You know, so that's what this means. His presence, the smile of God. Have you ever gotten in, you know, you're having a good time with someone to say your parents, you know, everything is going great when you are a child and you're doing something, making them laugh and you go too far. That smile turns into a frown really quick. <laughs> you know, so the countenance, God's countenance. So listen, people say that, you know, they believe that hell is on earth. You know, they say, depending on their circumstances, that whatever I'm going through, you know, it can't get any worse than this. This is hell. You know, it can't get any worse. You know, um, for us as believers, you know, uh, I've heard I heard someone say that this is the most hell that we will ever experience. But for those who do not know God, who do not know Christ, who have not repented of sin and believed in Christ, they are going to go to an eternal hell suffering the wrath of God forever. So God's presence, his omnipresence, no matter how bad things are on this earth, it could be worse, you know, and the fact that his presence, his countenance is smiling upon mankind now in a sense. Now, you know, a lot of and you see his judgment in ways, too. But, you know, his common grace is upon this earth. And even the worst of sinners can still uh, enjoy the benefits of God and the beauty of God. You know, it, it's a testimony that God is real that he is true that he is just that he is altogether lovely altogether holy he shows us through his creation that he is real and you know people still reject it and they say that god is not real you know they in so many ways, reject him. And they take that all the way to death. And as the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die. After this comes judgment. You know, so they go into the eternal darkness, the wrath of God where his countenance is not smiling but you're dealing with the frown the justice of God for eternity so his presence is everywhere so let's not um, ever forget that I know growing up the the church that I was going to there you know so much was um so much emphasis was put on Satan and the devil and how much we should fear 
the devil and really, you know, how much he would torment us, <laughs> you know, if we did die and go to hell. Well, that's not the Bible. You know, that that's that's not the Bible. The devil is defeated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's defeated. And his eternal destiny has already been determined. He is going to be suffering. You know, all of those who do his work will suffer just as he suffers. So to part from uh, apart from all of the benefits of God. Mm. All right. So what does this mean to us as we close here? What does this mean to us? Let us be ever thankful to God for choosing to save us from his own eternal wrath in hell. There is nothing inherent within us that moved him to choose us for salvation or to uh, save us from his wrath. Nothing inherent within us. It was because he chose us. He loved us. He chose us. So we should also be ever grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for drinking the cup of wrath on our behalf. You know, we we it was a work that we could not do anyway. The only way that we could pay for our sin is to suffer in hell for eternity. But Christ died on the cross in our place. He took on that cup of God's wrath on behalf of those whom he had chosen. Christ died and paid the price for our sins. So as long as you live, mortify sin within your flesh. Kill it. Don't make any provision for sin, no matter how small it is. Cut it off at the root. Be diligent about killing sin in your life. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. God is everywhere. Call on him for the strength that you need to kill any sin that so easily besets you. Don't ever pacify any sin. No matter how small it is, take it to God. He hates it all take it to him and in, in repentance that should be constant for our lives we're constantly repenting because we do sin in the presence of a holy god he sees everything commune with him talk to him let him know that you you do not want to continue on with any sin that it is you know when you're asking for forgiveness you are saying god listen i sinned I have sinned in your sight. I see this sin the same way that you do. God, forgive me. And then it's just like that. He forgives you. It's gone. It's over. Move on. You know, but we have to have that life of repentance. It's constant um, repentance. Strive for holiness. The almighty God who inhabits the universe is an ever present God who dwells on the inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Strive for holiness. Be holy as I am holy, is what the word says. 
take it even further, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. It's perfection. Perfection. Now, will we ever be perfect in this flesh? No, we will not be. But who is? Christ. And we are hidden in Christ. But don't make any excuses for sinful um, failures. You know, take it to Christ. Ask him for strength. Live your lives in obedience to God. He is an omniscient God who will supply you with all that you need to do whatever it is that he calls you to do. Whatever he calls you to, he will supply you with all that you need to carry out that uh, that task. And do not live in fear of man, but live in fear, awe and reverence the holy God that we serve because he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Any questions or comments? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word, God. And we pray, Lord, that as we wrap up tonight and we wrap up this session, God, that you would continue to give us that hunger, God, for your word. Give us that thirst for you, God. Uh, help us to go deeper into your word, God. The more that we learn about you, God, the higher our worship of you is going to be. We thank you, Lord, for choosing us to save us from your wrath to come, God. And you have called us, Lord, to do the work of going and making disciples. God, we are to be the salt. You have called us to be salt in this world, salt and light. God, help us to fulfill that task. God, help us to never live like this world does. We live in opposition. When this world is living in fear and worry, God, we are living in joy and confidence in you because we know that, Lord, the most important thing has been taken care of, and that is our souls have been rescued from your wrath by Jesus Christ. Help us to have full confidence in the work that Christ has done for us on the cross. Lord, let us never doubt God, but to trust in what your word tells us. We learned that God, you never change. You will not go back on your promise. God, to never leave us, to never forsake us, to never let us go out of your hand. We are in the hand of Jesus Christ. His hand is in the Father's hand. No one would ever be able to snatch us away. So help us, God, to rest in your presence and help us to go forward without fear. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.